This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life has changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. Today we celebrate Christmas. And we don't, of course, know which day Jesus was born on. And even if someone says they know the exact calendar, they, they don't. As accurate as people can try to be, uh, at most those things are estimations. But today is the day that we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is so much that we can learn from him and his life, even though he walked on this earth a short time before his death, even though he ministered only for about a period of three and a half years before his death. First, number one this morning, Jesus lived a lifestyle of gratitude. He lived a lifestyle of gratitude. In Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6, when Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish, how did he do that? It was a wonderful miracle of provision. It was a wonderful miracle of multiplication. How did he feed so many when there was not enough? They didn't have enough, and yet Jesus gave thanks. See, that, that's faith, giving thanks and being grateful, even when with your eyes you see the circumstances, there isn't enough. They didn't have enough, yet Jesus gave thanks. Matthew 14 and verse 19 says, he gave thanks, he gave thanks. They all ate and had their fill. So Jesus did not divide the five loaves and the two fish into little itty bitty pieces. The Bible says that they ate, they had their fill, and there was more left over than when they started. The Gospel of Mark tells us that they all ate and they were satisfied. Maybe after a Christmas Eve dinner last night or maybe after Christmas lunch today, that'll be you. You will eat and you will be satisfied. That is the blessing of the Lord. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be grateful. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the Gospels tell us that there were 12 basketfuls left over. That's God. That's what our Heavenly Father does. More than enough. In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus fed 4,000 men, plus women and children and seven with seven loaves and a few fish, how did he do that? How did he feed so many when there was not enough? They didn't have enough, and yet again, Jesus gave thanks. Why don't you tell your neighbor that? Say, he gave thanks. Tell your other neighbor, say, he gave, he gave thanks. And again, you know, the, the, if you look at the circumstances, you might say, Austin, I don't feel like giving thanks. But being grateful and being thankful and giving thanks is part of how we live this life of faith. 
They didn't have enough, and yet Jesus gave thanks. Mark 8 and verse 7 says, He gave thanks. And I love the way the Gospels describe that, that he, he gave thanks, and then he broke the bread. They all ate, and they had their fill, and there was more left over than when they started. Jesus lived a lifestyle of gratitude. There's so much that we can learn from that. In Luke's Gospel, Luke shares the account of how one day Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was purposely passing between Galilee and Samaria. I love how the Gospels describe Jesus frequently going to Jericho, a place that had been cursed by Joshua, that was ever rebuilt, and later a man did that at the cost of his firstborn son. So Jericho was a cursed place, and yet the Gospels tell us that Jesus frequently went out of his way to go to that cursed place. And in Luke's Gospel, Luke and John, they, they tell us about how Jesus would go out of his way to go through Samaria, to go near Samaria, to go through Samaria, a, a, a place that devout Jews would go out of their way to avoid, even if it cost them travel time. They would go out of their way to avoid those that they despised and they, they looked down on. And in Luke's gospel, Luke recounts how Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, passing along the border between Galilee and Samaria. There were 10 lepers. They cried out, have mercy on us. Jesus said, go, show yourselves to the priest. The Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were made whole. But only one out of the 10 came back to say thank you to Jesus. And that man was a Samaritan. Jesus called him a foreigner. He said, out of the 10, was, is only this foreigner come to give thanks? We're to live a lifestyle of gratitude. We're to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. We're to live a lifestyle of being grateful. And yes, even as we believe God for more, even as we believe God for greater, even as we believe for him to do in our lives what has not yet been done, in the present, we're to be thankful. In the present, we're to be grateful. That's the life of faith. And it's an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude that leads to new levels and new blessing. Number two, Jesus lived a lifestyle of gratitude, and that is how his disciples recognized him in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, after the women had reported the empty tomb, and after Peter, he had to see it for himself, he ran, he saw the empty tomb for himself. After all that had happened, two disciples were walking along the road to Emmaus. They walked along the road, and they came to another man. It was Jesus, and Jesus talked to them. And at first, they did not recognize him in his resurrected body. But Luke tells us that as Jesus spoke to them, their hearts burned within, within them. And when did they recognize him? Luke 24, beginning in verse 30, tells us, when Jesus was at the table with them, he, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they, they recognized him as the one who lived a lifestyle of gratitude 
as the one who gave thanks. Jesus lived such a lifestyle of gratitude. And when he gave thanks, they, they recognized him. They, they realized who it was. Reminds me of the end of John's gospel. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And even though Jesus told them many times what would happen, even though Jesus had told them to wait until they were clothed with power from on high, they, they didn't get it all. They didn't understand it all. They weren't quite sure what to do. So Peter's idea was, let's go fishing. They fished all night, and they had caught nothing. They saw someone on the shore. Was told, they, they were told, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. They did. And there was such a large catch of fish, the boat began to sink. And Peter realized, that's the Lord. And in Luke 24, they recognized him when he broke the bread and gave thanks. They recognized him by his gratitude and his thanksgiving and his lifestyle of gratitude. And there's something so important that we can learn from Jesus and how he conducted himself at the end. Number three, Jesus gave thanks in tough times and good times. See, if you only give thanks, you only have a good attitude, and you're only thankful and grateful when everything's going your way, that's not faith. It's faith when it's the life you live at all times, no matter the circumstances. That's why the Bible says we're to live by faith. The way we say it all the time is we're to live by the word. That's faith. That's the life of faith. And Jesus gave thanks in tough times and good times. Robert Schuller once said, tough times never last, but tough people do. Praise God, we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. Anyone can give thanks when there is such miraculous provision that 5,000 men plus women and children can be fed and there be more than enough left over. Anyone can give thanks when there is such miraculous provision that 4,000 men and women, 4,000 men along with women and children can be fed and there be plenty left over. But how many can give thanks when everything is not going their way? How many can give thanks when there's lack or there's a shortage or there is not enough? Or like Jesus, how many men can give thanks when they're about to die a cruel death? Knowing that he was going to die by the hands of politicians and religious leaders. Knowing that he was going to suffer the cruelest death ever invented by man. What did Jesus do at the Last Supper? Luke 22 and verse 19. He took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we gather and receive communion, we're doing what Jesus said. We're doing that in remembrance of him. The bread, the wafer, the cracker, it represents his body. The juice represents the blood that he shed on our behalf. And every time we receive from the Lord's table, we do what he said. We do this in remembrance of him. Matthew 26 and verse 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this generation would have a hard time if this were today. They didn't have a separate cup for all of them. 
They had one cup, and they, they passed it around. Uh, Austin, I don't know if I could do that. Well, yeah, that's why you have to live by faith and not by sight. A few weeks ago, Emily came home from school one day, and I noticed her cup was different. And we realized, I guess she had, there had been a mix-up. And I teased Jessica. I said, I guess she, she liked the cup someone else had better. That, that's how germs get passed around. That's how immunities get stronger. Amen. He, so he took the cup. He gave thanks, and they partook of the cup. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Say, say this. Say, say, I am forgiven. Say, say, my sins have been washed away. Say, my sins have been separated from me as far as the east is from the west. Say, my heavenly Father remembers them no more. See, you, you might have commitments today and you might go somewhere and you know, you're, you're doing your best to have a good attitude and be thankful and, and grateful and you know, someone you're around, they, they might remind you of this or that from the past. Praise God, we're forgiven. Praise God, it's under the blood of Jesus. Praise God that even though someone we might know, they may remember. Praise God, our Heavenly Father doesn't remember. And praise God, he, he doesn't hold it against us. Praise Him for that. For Jesus gave thanks even in the midst of betrayal. See, that, 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 that's faith. He gave thanks even in the midst of betrayal. The Last Supper was full of intrigue and drama. It was the, the disciples didn't realize all that was going on, but it was their last meal together, their last Passover together. And the Last Supper is full of intrigue and drama. Jesus had been betrayed. He knew it. You know, the, the disciples, they didn't all understand everything going on. But Jesus knew. He had been betrayed and he knew it. Jesus had been sold out for money and he knew it. He had been sold out for 30 pieces of silver, which the Bible tells us was the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver today would be a few hundred dollars. Nothing. And yet Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knew it. He knew that he knew what Judas was about to do. John actually tells us that Satan entered into Judas. The Bible calls him the son of perdition. Jesus knew the decision Judas had already made. Jesus knew what he was about to do. And yet Jesus gave thanks. It was the Passover, the celebration of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. But for Jesus, this was to not be a celebration of deliverance, not his anyway. He was about to be delivered into the hands of wicked men. So you and I could forever be delivered from the bondage of Satan. Praise God for it. It was the last supper with those he loved before he was betrayed into, not out of, but into the hands of politicians and religious leaders. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 19. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them. They prepared the Passover. He lived by faith. He said, go here, ask these questions, and there will be a room provided, provision will be made. And it happened just as he said. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them. 
and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe or warning to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. What a terrible thing. May, may we live in such a way that no one would ever say that of us. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And I don't mean to get into larger theological issues. Someone was going to betray Jesus. Someone was going to betray Jesus. God did not have to make Judas do that. God did not have to orchestrate it. Someone was going to betray Judas. And all it took was for one man who had a heart that was not right. The Bible tells us that Judas was the treasurer. John tells us that Judas would often help himself to the money bag when a lady gave a generous gift and anointed Jesus before his burial. Judas protested and said that money could have been given to the poor. John tells us that he made that protest not because he cared about the poor. He wanted that money to go into the money bag. Why? John tells us because he would help himself to it. All it took to betray the Messiah was a man whose heart was not right. That's why, as we say all the time, we have to live ready to meet the Lord. We, we don't know at what moment the Lord could come. We're closer now than we've ever been. My father said at 9 a.m. there were quite a few visitors and extended family and visitors and those family. And he said, we would like to believe we have all the time in the world to make things right with God. There's no guarantee of that. There's no guarantee of when we'll step into eternity. There's no guarantee of what moment, what day, what hour the Lord will come. We have to live ready and our hearts have to be right. Whoa, warning to that man who betrays the Son of Man, it would be better for him if he had not or never been born. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And that will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so when we receive from the Lord's table, we do as Jesus said. We do that in remembrance of him. But we also do that in faith, looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That one day we and our, our families and our children and our grandchildren, all those that have gone before us, whether someone died a natural death or whether soon someone is taken up in the rapture, that, that one day all the saints will be gathered and we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
and that is when we will sit down with him and partake with him. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples did the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not what, not as I will, but as you will. The King James says, your will be done. What was the cup? It was the cup of his suffering. It was the cup of everything he was about to endure on our behalf. Verse 40, he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can picture them there that night being sleepy, not understanding what was about to happen, what was about to take place, all that Jesus was about to do on their behalf. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can also picture Judas, a man whose heart was not right. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You might say, well, Austin, y'all sure do talk about a lot about living right and avoiding even the appearance of evil. Why? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. It was a part of their culture a kiss on the cheek as a greeting. Here, turned around to identify the one being betrayed, being betrayed to the death. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. It's hard for us to picture. It's hard for us to relate to. And the mentality of most people is eye for an eye. 
tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. And that is a high standard. But Jesus set the example. Even when he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even in the midst of betrayal, Jesus gave thanks. Even in the midst of betrayal, Jesus healed someone. Peter, Peter was angry. He pulled out a sword. He cut off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus healed the man. Even in the midst of betrayal, he was still doing acts of kindness, still doing acts of goodness, still working miracles. And in the midst of betrayal, he was still giving thanks. At this time, the ushers are going to come and they are going to begin waiting on us. When they come by, it's just one tray in the tray. Just the two cups are together. And so just grab a hold of those two cups. The bread, little cracker is underneath. The juice is on top. So he gave thanks even in the midst of betrayal. In these days that we live in, so many don't live lifestyles of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we're people of faith. We're always believing God for something. We're always pressing on to new levels. And that's fine. That's the life of faith. But as you do that, live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Live a lifestyle of gratitude. Be grateful to God. Be grateful to your husband or wife. Be grateful to your family and your children. Be, be grateful to others. And give God thanks for his blessings in your current circumstances. If you're married, give thanks for your husband or wife. If you have children, give thanks for your children. If you have a large family or more than one child, one might be easier than another. One might require more attention or discipline than another. But give thanks for them all. And whatever you do, whatever God has gifted you to do, whatever your current occupation or job, give thanks. You might say, Austin, I'm believing God for something else. I'm believing God for a better job, a different position. That's fine. That's faith. But it's also faith to give God thanks for the job that you have now. It's also faith to give God thanks for your present income. You might be believing God for a home. You might be believing God for a bigger home for your family. You might be believing God for this or that. Be thankful, be grateful for what he's already blessed you with. Be thankful, be grateful for what he has already done. It's faith to believe him, but it's also faith to be thankful and grateful for every blessing upon along the way. And then we have to be mindful of something the Apostle Paul writes in his letters to the church at Corinth. Paul writes that we're never to receive from the table of the Lord in an unholy manner. And I mentioned how in the first service, my father said that there are people and they think that they have all the time in the world. I think sometimes people picture that they'll get toward the end of their life, they'll be in a hospital somewhere and they can give a list of people to their spouse 
And they, they can line people up, uh, people to ask the forgiveness of, things, situations to make right. You know, 55 things to be done. There is no guarantee of any of that. You've heard me share the, the story and the testimony of the miracle with Jessica's father. You know, it's a miracle that he's alive today, but when he was in the hospital facing the fight of his life in ICU, how many days was that? It was more than 30, wasn't it? More than 30 days in ICU. They had him on so many drugs. When he woke up and began talking to me, he thought he was like in a Russian spy movie. He had no idea what was going on while family were fighting the fight of faith on his behalf. My point is in that situation, he wasn't lucid to prayed and make things right with God. He wasn't lucid to have his wife or to have a child come in and to make a, a situation right. He, he wasn't lucid enough to fix something or fix a relationship. See, so there's no guarantees of any of that. So we ought to make things right today. And Paul writes that we're never to receive from the Lord's table in an unholy manner. And so I want to encourage you that if there's something in your life that is not right or displeasing to God or something that you know you need to make right, purpose in your heart to do that right now. To ask the Lord's forgiveness or to tell the Lord that you're going to give that up, whatever it is. Or maybe there's a situation in your life, a, a wrong that has been done or someone you've not done right by and the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you know you've got to make that right, purpose in your heart to make that right this week as quick as you can so that nothing hinders us, so that we don't receive from the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, so that nothing hinders us or our prayers. Jesus taught that in the Sermon on the Mount that before you go and present your gift at the altar, first go and make the situation right with the brother, then come back and then present your gift. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Well, let's pray before we receive of the bread. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you have done for us. I thank you that you so loved the world and you so loved each of us that you sent your only begotten son I thank you that he was born on our behalf. I thank you that he lived a perfect life without sin so that he could be the lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf. I thank you that he suffered in his body what we deserve to suffer. I thank you that he paid the price we deserve to pay. I thank you for all that he did for us in Jesus' name. Let us eat together. Then it says, beginning in verse 27, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you that Jesus shed his blood on our behalf. We thank you that because he shed his blood on our behalf, we are forgiven of our sins. We thank you that when he was pierced, he was pierced for our transgressions. We thank you that when he was pierced, not only did blood flow forth, but as John tells us, water. And we thank you that as the Apostle Paul tells us that our lives have been washed with the water of your word, your precious and holy son, in Jesus' name. Let us drink together.